Tuesday, the 12th of September, the Feast of the Most Holy Name of Mary. Let's begin together in prayer in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Lord, we praise you for having chosen Mary to be preserved from all sin from the moment of her immaculate conception. We praise you for having inspired Mary to consecrate herself as your exclusive sanctuary through perpetual virginity. We praise you for having bestowed upon Mary the honor of being the mother of God for our redemption. We praise you for having taken up Mary, body and soul, into heaven, where, the, where she reigns now with you as queen of heaven and earth. O Lord, we praise you for choosing Mary to be the mother of your son and our mother. May we who call upon her name always find protection from sin and evil. May her intercession lead us closer to you, who live and reign forever and ever. Amen. It is a better way to start a Tuesday, the Sunrise Morning Show. I'm Matt Swaim. Anna Mitchell has news. Paul Lockman at the controls, although he tells me he got hit in the face with the softball last night. So hopefully uh, he pushes the right buttons. We'll see. We'll see. He doesn't know how to duck, at least. Up this hour, Father Tad Pekulczyk is going to talk about a new determination of brain death and what are the bioethics of that question. Of course, the National Catholic Bioethics Center is sorting through all kinds of situations, ethically complicated situations, and bringing a Catholic perspective to bear on them all. Marlon De La Torre will join us from knowingisdoing.org in the Diocese of Columbus. Rita Heikenfeld has uh, tips for putting your Bible garden to bed and preserving some of those herbs for the season. And then Holly Ordway has a brand new book on, uh, well, it's a spiritual biography of, of J.R.R. Tolkien. And uh, yeah, maybe you know your you know, Lord of the Rings trivia, and maybe you even know that Tolkien was Catholic, but maybe you don't know his actual sort of spiritual journey. Well, we'll get into that with Holly. Right now it is two minutes past. Here's Anna Mitchell with news. Good morning. Catholic Relief Services reports the enormity of loss and grief is widespread as people navigate the aftermath of the devastating earthquake in Morocco. Now, more than 2,800 people have been killed, and the death toll is still expected to rise. Thousands were injured as well as the quake was the strongest to hit the nation in more than a century. Offers of assistance have been pouring in from around the world, including the U.S. CRS says they are supporting Caritas Rabat, whose teams mobilized a response within 24 hours to the hardest-to-reach areas. The Holy See's delegation to the United Nations and other international organizations has appealed to the international community to adhere to the Convention on Cluster Munitions. From Vatican Radio, Thaddeus Jones reports. The Convention on Cluster Munitions is an international treaty of more than 100 nations that prohibits all use production, transfer, and stockpiling of cluster munitions. The treaty came into force on August 1st in 2010. The Holy See Statement first notes appreciation for Iraq's commitment to the convention and the preparations it made for the Geneva meeting, while also congratulating Nigeria and South Sudan for acceding to it. The statement notes that any additional state party to the convention represents a renewed impulse to achieve universality, 
further ensuring that there will be fewer victims in the future and that those who are already tragically affected can be properly assisted. The Holy See representative then made an appeal for all states that are not yet party to the convention to join other nations who've signed it and are fully adhering to it for the benefit of all. The Holy See then recalled the convention's fundamental principles, especially the unequivocal reaffirmation of the preeminent and inherent value of human dignity and the centrality of the human person. The Holy See then appealed to all parties to the conflict in Ukraine to put an immediate end to the use of cluster munitions and echoed Pope Francis' continuing appeals to mobilize for peace in the war-torn Ukraine. In conclusion, the delegation noted Pope Francis' closeness to the victims of the many wars in our world while expressing gratitude for states' parties to the convention for their commitment and generosity in assisting the victims of cluster munitions with the sincere hope that we may continue with even greater vigor on this noble path in the defense of human dignity and life as well as the realization of the common good of all people. I'm Thaddeus Jones. The Biden administration is clearing the way for a prisoner exchange with Iran to free five Americans being held there. It has issued a waiver for foreign banks to transfer $6 billion in Iranian oil funds that have been held up by U.S. sanctions. All five Americans were transferred from prison to house arrest in Tehran while the agreement between the U.S. and Iran was finalized. They've all been deemed wrongfully detained by the State Department. In exchange, the administration will release five Iranian citizens detained in the United States. Time is running out to avoid a strike against America's top automakers. The United Auto Workers Union is readying to go on strike Friday if GM, Ford, and Stellantis don't meet demands on pay raises, pensions, and job protections. Up to 146,000 workers are set to walk off the job if they can't come to a new agreement, which would impact production and increasing prices. One estimate says a strike lasting just 10 days could result in a total loss of more than $5 billion. Tech industry leaders will be on Capitol Hill this week to discuss artificial intelligence. More from Mark Mayfield. Senators will hear from Elon Musk, Mark Zuckerberg, Bill Gates, and others during a closed-door meeting Wednesday. This comes as Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer has prioritized bringing lawmakers up to speed on the rapidly advancing AI technology. I'm Mark Mayfield. American scientist Mark Dickey is safe after being rescued out of a cave in southern Turkey. He had been trapped in the cave for several days and was more than 3,000 feet underground when he experienced life-threatening stomach bleeding. Officials had called the operation one of the largest cave rescues in the world. As it began, Dickey was said to be medically stable. The scientist had been helping to lead an international expedition in the cave. Video showed him lying on a stretcher as he was lifted out. And undrafted rookie Xavier Gibson returned an overtime punt for the game-winning touchdown to lift the New York Jets over the Buffalo Bills 22-16 on Monday Night Football. Jets quarterback Aaron Rodgers, that still sounds weird, went down with an injury on the first offensive drive of the game. The 39-year-old QB is set to undergo an MRI later today amid fears that it is an Achilles injury. Well, that'd be a bummer. Yeah, I know, right? Yeah, it was, uh, I didn't watch much. You know, as you know, Anna Mitchell, there is another 
major matchup that happens on Monday nights on EWTN. Yeah, between John it Mark Grodi uh, and I mean, you talk about a drama convert. unfolding. <laughs> drama unfolding Monday nights on EWTN when the journey home is on. <laughs> I never so, really thought about how you were com- you were competing with Monday Night Football. That's well, we're really... not competing because here's the thing, Anna Mitchell. You just reported on the Monday Night Football game, and so people are like, ah, glad I didn't watch that. I know, right? Every morning after the journey home, I can be like, and the person actually came into the church. People are like, ah, I should watch that. I know, right? Last night, we you know who we had on last night? Who'd you have on last night? Andrea Garrett, who for many years... Uh, was a producer at CBN, who is uh, just uh, just up the TV guide a few the channels Christian from us on EWTN. Network? Is that what that is? So yeah, she worked in uh, evangelical wow. television television for a number of years. So I bet she was good on EWTN. She was TV. great. Did anybody recruit her? What is she doing these days? Actually, I gotta be careful. EWTN people might be listening and be like, "Wait, we who who." Maybe she wants know. a new job. You never know. Like, I don't know. I don't know. Maybe she's a volunteer around here. <laughs> I don't know. No, Andrea's awesome. You should check it out. EWTN.com has got her uh, Journey Home episode, and I'll be posting it on the Coming Home Network's website here in just a little bit. Nice. Well, today is Tuesday, September the 12th. It is the Feast of the Most Holy Name of Mary. Of course, we celebrated her birthday last week, so now we celebrate the powerful, the power of praying through her intercession our lady of sorrows whose feast we celebrate on friday pray for us it's nine past and father tad pikolchik joins us now on the sunrise morning show from the national catholic bioethics center father welcome back to the show Thank you, Annie. Good to be with you. It is good to have you. So the U.S. bishops have signed on to a statement from the National Catholic Bioethics Center to what's known as the Uniform Law Commission. There's a proposed revision to a law that would, am I right about this, essentially change the definition of death as it pertains to brain death? Yes. Uh, It's not actually a law, but it's a series of recommendations uh, that are made by the Uniform Law Commission. And then what happens is different states can modify their own laws about declaring people dead based on these recommendations from this special commission. So what happened was, like, 40 years ago, uh, there was a special presidential commission that sort of stepped into this area and started looking at what's required for a valid declaration of death. And they wrote up what's come to be known as the UDDA, or Uniform Determination of Death Act. And it was very clearly written back then. Uh, And it basically said you had to have irreversible cessation of all functions of the brain uh, in order to be declared brain dead. And so this was what they recommended 40 years ago. It, uh, that recommendation was taken, and all 50 states of the United States borrowed language from their recommendation. Uh, and it's been sort of part of the legal and medical landscape ever since. And now there is pressure afoot to kind of go back and change this definition uh, in such a way that it would, in effect, lower 
the, the, the requirements in order to be declared dead or deceased, uh, specifically in the realm of brain death declarations. So this is something that, you know, we've drafted this statement around to uh, say to the Uniform Law Commission that we're concerned about this proposed change and that it doesn't make sense to go in the direction they're suggesting. What we instead should be doing is improving the kinds of tests Mm. that are done to patients to determine whether they have died or whether they're still alive. Well, tell me and, this, Father, why are they taking this under consideration at all at this point after, you said, 40 years? Yes. That's a, a, a kind of complicated question because I think a lot of people, their first instinct is to say, well, this is just about getting more organs for mm-hmm. organ donation. Um, and. You know, you hear that on the airwaves a bit, but I don't think that's quite uh, quite the situation because this, the current set of tests that are being done to find out if somebody has died, there's certain areas that have loopholes, if you will. Uh, there's a part of the brain that's kind of at the base of the brain called the hypothalamus, and there aren't any tests that are done to find out if that part of the brain is still working. And that's just how it is today. It's been sort of a a loophole that nobody's really addressed. And Mm -hmm. so what the Uniform Law Commission is doing is saying, well, let's just not worry too much about that. And let's just say if these other parts of the brain are are clearly not functioning, then we're good to go and we're going to call the person dead. Uh, uh, Allowing a kind of partial brain death uh, to definition to step in and take over. And that's clearly something that, you know, is not compatible with our understanding of what it means to be a human being and how we die. Uh, we need to have that irreversible loss of all functions of the brain, not just some or a few or here or there. Uh, so, you know, the answer to your question is is that this appears to be something that has uh, arisen out of clinical practice that's been going on that's been a little bit loose, um, you know, or frayed around the edges, and we need to tighten up the clinical testing that's done and hold the same definition of brain death that we've always held. Uh, And that will assure then that when your medical team, you know, comes to the family and says, we're sorry to tell you that your loved one has died, you know, you'll be able to have reasonable certitude reasonable moral assurance that what they're telling you is indeed accurate and then there won't be any problem with you as a family signing the dotted line and saying well you know we would like to donate uh, his organs or her organs in this uh, unfortunate situation well father what would happen if the the commission goes with this proposal proposal as it stands that they they do decide to adopt this language that would essentially make partial brain death um okay for uh declaring total brain death well it means that you would have situations admittedly not very many or very common situations, but you would have some of them, a few of them, where you would have individuals who would still have some parts of the brain, especially that lower part that I mentioned, the hypothalamus, that would still be functioning, Mm. and yet 
they could be declared dead. So that's the problem here that, you know, we as the center are concerned about. And so you would basically have a living person, a person who's still alive, who still has a functioning part of the brain, who would be able to be declared dead and whose organs could be taken. So uh, we need to be sure that the legal definitions around death and declaring death make sense and are in accord with the medical and biological understandings of death. We don't want to be setting up some separate kind of category here, which becomes then a fiction about what it means to die. Father, do you happen to know when the commission is going to make a ruling, have they said? You know, the latest that I've heard is that thanks to statements like the one that we issued uh, and other pressure from other quarters, that they appear to be uh, delaying any decision on this uh, for the foreseeable future. Fantastic. Well, we will keep an eye on it. And uh, thank you so much, Father Tad Pakulczyk, for uh, unpacking this for us. If you'd like to read the full statement from the National Catholic Bioethics Center, you can find it linked at sunrisemorningshow.com. Father Tad, thank you. Thank you so much. Great to be with you. It was great to have you, Father. Thanks. All right. It's 17 past now on the Sunrise Morning Show. We're back with headlines right after this. Support for the Sunrise Morning Show is from Visiting Angels. Visiting Angels provides experienced, compassionate care to millions of aging adults nationwide by keeping them safe and healthy in the comfort of their own home. Whether it's a short break for caregivers or for long-term assistance, Visiting Angels provides hygiene, meals, light housework, companionship, and more. And services are available up to 24 hours per day. Visiting Angels, online at visitingangels.com. That's visitingangels.com. Franchise opportunities available. Support is from TBN. Weaving its way through the heart of the Holy Land is a well-worn path that once felt the footsteps of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, King David, and Jesus. Host David Friedman and Mike Pompeo take a sacred journey of hope along Route 60, the biblical highway. Experience the land of the Bible as you've never seen it. In theaters September 18th and 19th, Route 60, the biblical highway. Information at Route60.movie. That's Route60.movie. It's back to school time and back to a busier morning routine. If you're going to need some help to get going, get yourself a few bags of Mystic Monk coffee. And when you go to the Mystic Monk site through the link you find at sunrisemorningshow.com, you'll give us a boost with a commission on your purchase. While you're at our site, pick up a Sunrise Morning Show mug or travel mug and perhaps a water bottle for your student. All available in our online store. Find our store and link to Mystic Monk coffee at sonrisemorningshow.com. EWTN, communicating the faith. I had to go through fear and thank God that I overcame the fear and I just left it up to God and now there's no more fear, there's just acceptance and I'm just learning to listen. If you want to be closer to God, you just need to keep following His rules and your application, your radio station has helped me to always be positive and continue to listen to the rules and obey. EWTN, live truth, live Catholic. 19 minutes past the hour. Here's Anna with headlines. The Global Caritas Network is offering support to Caritas Rabat to help those devastated by the largest earthquake to hit Morocco in more than a century. Pope Francis yesterday welcomed the leader of the Malankara Orthodox Syrian Church and the Holy See's delegation to the United Nations is appealing for the international community 
to adhere to the convention on cluster munitions. News at the top, bottom of each hour every weekday morning here on the Sunrise Morning Show. And Anna Mitchell, I know that when it comes to like internal church drama and movements of the hierarchy and all that kind of stuff, mm-hmm. um, we pay a, quite a bit of attention to the United States. But I would just encourage our listeners to pray for the church in India. Oh, there my is, gosh. Um, yeah, you think division in the church you may not in the United States is a problem. Any of the terms of the of the <laughs> conflict, but just pray for the church in India. Uh, there's a lot of, uh, well, I don't division. know how to describe it. Uh, division. division would be um, there's personality conflicts, there's hurt feelings, there's just very strong emotions. So our brothers and sisters in India, I'm sure, would appreciate you praying for prayers for peace and unity and mm-hmm. harmony and that they would all be one in heart and mind. Amen. Good prayer. Blessed Devashayam Pillai, pray for us. You start back to a busier morning routine. If you're going to need some help to get going, get yourself a few bags of Mystic Monk coffee. And when you go to the Mystic Monk site through the link you find at sunrisemorningshow.com, you'll give us a boost with a commission on your purchase. While you're at our site, pick up a Sunrise Morning Show mug or travel mug and perhaps a water bottle for your student. All available in our online store. Find our store and link to Mystic Monk Coffee at sonrisemorningshow.com. You start your day a better way by listening to the Sunrise Morning Show. Soon you'll be able to watch as well. That's right. Starting September 25th, you'll be able to watch the Sunrise video stream on social media and at sunrisemorningshow.com. You'll also be able to see the faces of the regular Sunrise Morning Show family. Plus, you'll get to see what my hair looks like first thing in the morning. And whether I ever crack a smile at Matt's terrible jokes. Spoiler alert, she does. Sunrise goes to video September 25th. Tune in at sunrisemorningshow.com. I am Bishop Roger Foyes of the Diocese of Covington with a reading from the Imitation of Christ. If only I could find you alone, O Lord, and tell you all that is in my heart, then I could enjoy you as much as my soul desires. Then you only would speak to me and I to you, as a lover does to a beloved, or a friend to a good friend. This is my one desire and what I pray for, to be entirely united to you and to withdraw my heart from all created things, that by holy communion and the frequent offering of Mass, I may learn ever to delight in the eternal things of heaven. Dear Lord, when shall I be completely one with you and entirely forgetful of myself. You in me, and I in you. I am Bishop Roger Foyes of the Diocese of Covington for Sacred Heart Radio. The Sunrise Morning Show continues. Thanks for joining us on this Tuesday, the 12th of the month of September. We're joined now by Marlon De La Torre from the Diocese of Columbus, where he works in evangelization and discipleship and catechesis and faith formation. That's not what his actual business card says, but he does those things. Marlon, good morning. Good morning, Matt. Go Bucks. All right. Uh, you've been writing uh, a little bit about the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, give us the context of why you uh, started thinking about this uh, most famous teaching from Jesus. You know, it's um, th- there's a lot of variables in, in in this proclamation from our Lord. I mean, not even after the witnessing of both Jew and Gentile of his baptism by Saint John, and then really the the, the initial thrust of his message 
not necessarily of peace, but it, it came to really uh, awaken the minds and hearts of the people and proclaiming just the kingdom has come. And the, the whole Sermon on the Mount really is, is, is a message and proclamation of salvation, the salvation of all humanity. And it, it's important that we, we have this understanding of this language because this is the reality of why he came, is to resuscitate and rescue us in many ways from the, uh, the calamity that he saw that the people of God had got into. And this misunderstanding of, of the rule of faith, this misunderstanding of the law, uh, in some ways a puritanical way of, of how to live uh, a relationship with God. And so there's a lot of factors into why I would choose a Sermon on the Mount, because it really, it's meant to help the person understand the message of the Word of God and who He is through His Son, Jesus Christ. But also, how are we to act this out? What are we supposed to do to, to live this? And so when we, uh, when, when you hear the message of our Lord, He has something to say. He has something to say to us that's meant to penetrate our heart, excuse me. And then from there, how are we to live this out? This is the key for us as, as Christians. And if we follow this this beautiful rule of faith in, in the Sermon on the Mount, then we understand why God wants our salvation badly. And really, he earnestly desires for us to be with him and to come home with him. Well, we live in a very celebrity-driven world, Marlon. And we live in a situation where we're coming up on this time next year. It's going to be almost presidential election time mm -hmm. my uh it's my least favorite secular liturgical season but mm -hmm. you know in that what's going to happen is in the political world people are going to be hanging on every word that everyone says and somebody's going to notice that this person's going to be a microphone and the whole world is going to try and figure out how to dissect and understand it um, this happens all the time in celebrity culture right i'm amazed at how when I look at what's trending on Twitter, it's like something dumb from somebody I don't know, but is apparently very famous, right? And I'm like, ah, you know, this, people are hanging on every word of this person says. And even actually within the church, we have, you know, sort of celebrity type figures who have uh, kind of gotten this sort of popular status to where everything they say is like super important to us. We already have these sort of things in our world where we latch on to people. And, and if they're important to us, we're going to hang on their every word, and we're going to wait uh, with bated breath for the next thing that comes out from them. If Christ is supposed to be more important, infinitely more important than all those realities put together, then we ought to care what he's saying in these places. Oh, I agree. I think that the, the notion that our Lord lays the foundation or, or the thought of here's the path scares us to death. We'd rather hear a message that is happy, that is good, that is nice, rather than one that, that requires us to change. And I think that that's part of the, uh, of the novelty of, of people with a message or the celebrity status, whether within the church or outside. The message is what gets us to really forget about ourselves and our journey, but we listen to someone who's compelling, someone who, who has a nice message, someone who has a loving message per se, and doesn't necessarily require us to move or to engage. And I think that's a distinction with, with what our Lord does every single time, whether it's a Sermon on the Mount or the proclamation to Peter in Matthew 16 or the whole Good Shepherd discourse in John 10, whatever you can choose in Scripture, there's a change. There's a requirement. There, there's something that is aimed at helping us see the reality of who Christ is. Sometimes we don't want to see it. And the message or whoever's speaking at that particular point in time becomes more satisfying because it may not require us to do much other than to listen. And well, there's more than that. It's, it's, it's a progression. 
Um, and that's why I tried to instill in this particular article is the fact that, yes, you have something to say. Now, what are you going to do about it? How are we going to progress to really bear fruit to this message and for those especially around us? So um, I think that's, that's part of that drama that we walk into. Well, let's be honest. Sometimes we gravitate toward that message because it's something nice and unchallenging and makes us feel kind of like warm and gooey. Sometimes we gravitate that message because it's, you know, just really puts people we don't like in uh, uh-huh. their place. And we're like, what a challenging message, man. Bob needs to hear this, <laughs> right? Correct. Uh, Correct. And so sometimes uh, we we get really fired up and I'm like, ah, see, now this is the kind of stuff <laughs> that the people I don't like really need mm-hmm. to hear. And the fact is, is if you listen to Christ correctly, he's going to make everybody uncomfortable, everybody uncomfortable, but he's also going to bring everybody peace. I mean, that's kind of the weird thing about the truth is that it hurts, but it heals. And depending on where you are and what you're doing, the truth is going to have something to say to you, and it's going to have some kind of correction for you. It's like when G.K. Chesterton says that we don't really, at the end of the day, want a church that's right where we're right. We want a church that's right where we're wrong, right? Because we need help. We want to change, but we also don't want to change. <laughs> you know, and that's part of the challenge here. No, I couldn't agree with you more. I think that that's the distinction there is the progression to change. And if we accomplish that through his grace, then by all means, uh, we'll be open to the message all the time. Well, the three most important words of that sentence, through his grace, right? You know, Absolutely. we're not out here just trying to muscle it through on our own steam so marlon de la Torre, we've got knowingisdoing.org linked at sunrise morning show.com thank you as always have a wonderful day appreciate that you too go bucks all right and again marlon hales from the diocese of columbus many of you listening on saint gabriel radio this morning a good morning to you good morning across the ewtn affiliate family hope you've got a uh, good tuesday in the works Half past the hour, here's Anna with news. Good morning. The Global Caritas Network is offering support to Caritas Rabat to help those devastated by the largest earthquake to hit Morocco in more than a century. Catholic Relief Services reports the priorities are emergency shelter, food, clean water and hygiene supplies, blankets, kitchenwares, and support for medical assistance and counseling. Another priority is planning for long-term support. CRS reports more than 300,000 people are affected and at least 2,490 were killed. Access to remote areas with the worst destruction, especially in the mountain towns, remains difficult. But Caritas, which has a longstanding presence in Morocco, mobilized within 24 hours to reach those areas. Time is running out to avoid a strike against America's top automakers. Mark Mayfield has more. The United Auto Workers Union is readying to go on strike Friday if GM, Ford, and Stellantis don't meet demands on pay raises, pensions, and job protections. Up to 146,000 workers are set to walk off the job if they can't come to a new agreement impacting production and increasing prices. One estimate says a strike lasting just 10 days could result in a total loss of more than $5 billion for the U.S. economy. I'm Mark Mayfield. The Holy See's delegation to the United Nations and other international organizations has appealed to the international community to adhere to the Convention on Cluster Munitions, this coming in the wake of the U.S. sending cluster munitions to Ukraine to aid in their fight against Russia. The U.S., Russia, and Ukraine are among those who did not enter into the convention that vowed to not produce, stockpile, or use cluster bombs. The Holy See delegation asked all parties in the Ukrainian conflict 
to put an immediate end to the use of cluster munitions. The Biden administration is clearing the way for a prisoner exchange with Iran to free five Americans being held there. It has issued a waiver for foreign banks to transfer $6 billion in Iranian oil funds that have been held up by U.S. sanctions. All five Americans were transferred from prison to house arrest in Tehran while the agreement between the U.S. and Iran was finalized. They've all been deemed wrongfully detained by the State Department. In exchange, the administration will release five Iranian citizens detained in the United States. Pope Francis welcomed the leader of the Malankara Orthodox Syrian Church at the Vatican yesterday. From Vatican Radio, Francesca Merlo reports. Pope Francis welcomed His Holiness Basilius Thomas Matthews III, the Catholicos of the Eastern Malankara Metropolitan of the Malankara Orthodox Syrian Church during a visit to the Vatican. In his address, Pope Francis expressed gratitude for their growing bonds since the Second Vatican Council and highlighted the historical visits and meetings between their respective predecessors. May I say, Your Holiness, that here you are at home as a beloved and long-awaited brother, said Pope Francis. He acknowledged the ancient faith of the Malankara Orthodox Syrian Church, tracing its origins to the Apostle Thomas and emphasized the shared faith in Jesus as Lord and God, in this regard, the Holy Father noted that the faith of St. Thomas was inseparable from his experience of the wounds of the body of Christ. The divisions that have occurred throughout history between us Christians have been painful wounds inflicted on the body of Christ that is the Church. We ourselves continue to witness their effects. The Malankara Orthodox Syrian Church, also known as the Indian Orthodox Church, or simply as the Malankara Church, is an autocephalous Oriental Orthodox Church. The Pope concluded by invoking St. Thomas the Apostle's intercession for unity and witness, connecting it to St. Thomas's transition from disbelief to belief upon seeing Jesus' wounds, saying, When the Lord showed his wounds, St. Thomas passed from disbelief to belief by what he saw. May our shared contemplation of the crucified and risen Lord lead to the complete healing of our past wounds so that before our eyes, transcending all distance and misunderstanding, he may appear. I'm Francesca Merlo. Authorities say escaped murderer Daniello Cavalcante could be in an area about 30 miles northwest of Philadelphia, and they're telling residents to shelter in place. He's been on the run for nearly two weeks after escaping from prison in Chester County, where he was serving a life sentence. There's a $25,000 reward for any information that could lead to Cavalcante's capture. That's the news. You're listening to the Sunrise Morning Show on EWTN Radio. It's 35 past the hour. The You start your day a better way by listening to the Sunrise Morning Show. Soon, you'll be able to watch as well. That's right. Starting September 25th, you'll be able to watch the Sunrise video stream on social media and at sunrisemorningshow.com. You'll also be able to see the faces of the regular Sunrise Morning Show family. Plus, you'll get to see what my hair looks like first thing in the morning. And whether I ever crack a smile at Matt's terrible jokes. Spoiler alert, she does. Sunrise goes to video September 25th. Tune in at sunrisemorningshow.com. This past year has been a crazy roller coaster ride, but you have the power to get your business back on track. 
by underwriting the Sunrise Morning Show. Weekday mornings, your message will reach millions of engaged Catholic listeners across the U.S. and around the globe who want to know more about and support Catholic businesses and organizations. To get national exposure for your business, ministry, or nonprofit on the Sunrise Morning Show, email me, Leah, at sacredheartradio.com. That's Leah at sacredheartradio.com. This is Every Day with St. Francis de Sales. My God, if we were to grasp heavenly inspirations in all their fullness and power, we would make great progress in virtue in very short time. No matter how abundant the source of the water is, the water does not enter the garden in proportion to the source, but in proportion to the canal that carries it. In the same way, the Holy Spirit, as a source of living water, surrounds our heart on all sides to scatter His graces according to His pleasure. But He does not want to enter the heart without the free consent of our will or without our cooperation. For Sacred Heart Radio, I'm Father Chris Armstrong. It is time for Bible Foods with Rita Heikenfeld from AboutEating.com. And uh, Bible Foods is all about looking at foods and recipes and all kinds of things that are mentioned in the Bible, some of the symbolism of them and how we use those things today. Rita, good morning. Well, good morning, Matt. And I again, thanks to Annie, this is going to be a very timely subject. Extremely timely, because we're talking today about preserving some of the herbs from our Bible gardens. A lot of us mm-hmm. have uh, been taking notes on your segments and planted some of these things that show up in the Bible, and now we're getting to the cold months, so we're just not going to be able to have them uh, fresh. So let's talk about some ways to, to dry these. I mean, this is something that, I mean, there's a principle that, you know, is involved in this whole process of planting and watering and growing. Uh, you know, that that's a nice way to think about all this stuff, right? It is, and when you think of that, um, good point there, Matt. In Genesis, in chapter 1, I love this passage. Then God said, let the earth bring forth vegetation, every kind of plant that bears seed, including herbs, every kind of fruit tree on earth that bears fruit with its seed in it. And so it happened, the earth brought forth vegetation, every kind of plant that bears seed, and every kind of fruit tree that bears fruit with its seed in it. God saw that it was good. So today, as you said, a lot of us are planting herbs, um, some of which are mentioned in the Bible, but they've grown, and now, before that first frost hits, we've got to figure out how to preserve them. And um, one of the best ways, I think, um, and easy and low cost, is just to dry them the old-fashioned way. Um, It's an ancient method, as we both know. It goes back to Bible days, and I'm thinking even before Christ was born, And it's always reliable and safe, so drying herbs the old-fashioned way is a good way to do that. All right, so what are some tips for drying herbs? And, you know, this can vary from herb to herb a little bit, but Mm -hmm. generally speaking, what are some good principles to apply? Well, just generally, you want to harvest um, your uh, herbs after the morning dews has dried from the leaves, but before the sun gets really hot, and that happens around here, 
around noontime, Matt. And, in fact, if you walk by a lavender plant around noontime, you, you'll get to smell a lovely aroma. And what's happened is the sun drives the oils from the bottom up toward the stem and then out into the air. So right um, before noon is the best time because then all the herbs will still have all their, vol- their volatile oils intact. All right, so this is one where you get into a bit of a dilemma because you want clean herbs, but if you just waited for them to dry and then you wash them off, now they're wet again. So what, what, what is your recommendation in gar- regarding cleaning these herbs? Well, first of all, if I, I usually don't have to clean them. I don't think many people do um, unless they're real dusty. But if you want to do them while they're still on the plant, I usually um, give them a, a light sprinkling the day before, and that gives them plenty of time to dry. Um, because wet herbs will get mildew and mold as they dry. And if you happen to take them off the plant and they still need a rinse, do it in the kitchen and lay them, um, you know, let them drain and dry very well uh, before you start to dry them. And, and by the way, you only want to cut healthy branches. If there's any yellow or spotted leaves, they're not going to have any flavor, so don't even bother with those. All right. You try and knock the bugs off? Aha. Uh-huh. Let, now, this is where your kids come in if they're not squeeze, you know, squeezy about it. Um, yeah, I usually just shake them a bit. Um, I think there's usually some hitchhikers, although herbs are not, uh, don't tend to attract bugs very much. And also, if you're going to rinse them, they're usually going to fall off. So um, not something to worry about, but maybe something to, be, to check on for sure. All right, so with some of these, uh, let's say I've got thyme or oregano. Actually, that's not a theoretical hypothetical. I have tons of time in oregano. Uh-huh. I know. I know uh, you do. Uh, so do I cut off the whole branch? How much do I cut off? Well, um, if you're going to dry them on the branch, um, what I'll do is I'll, I'll take them out of the garden and then remove about an inch or so, Matt, of the lower leaves. And what that does, it gives you um, something, to, you know, uh, a branch to tie together. And I'll tie several together just to make a bunch. But um, here's the deal. You don't want to tie too many because you want a good air circulation, so three or four or five. Um, and you can use rubber bands uh, to tie them and hang them upside down because nutrition and flavor starts in the root and then goes through the stem and the leaves. Um, but if you're going to use rubber bands or strings, sometimes you've got to redo them because they may slip out. Um, again, not too many branches together because air, good air circulation is crucial. All right, so where do you hang them? Do you hang them in your kitchen or your basement or garage? Where do you do that? I love to put them in my kitchen because they look nice, but again, it, it sort of gets a little messy when they start to dry. Anywhere that's dry and basically warm with good, good um, air circulation, again. Um, some people like to use a paper bag, and you can just place bundles of herbs upside down in the bag and then sort of gather the bag at the top and then tie it closed. Um, some people punch a few holes in the if it's a bag for air circulation, I usually don't because if it's a paper bag, no need to. The big thing is don't um, dry herbs uh, near the sun, especially if they're exposed because that bleaches the color out. So any place that's basically warm and dry is good. All right, so let's say I've got dried oregano. How much would I use of that uh, compared to how much fresh oregano I would use normally in a recipe? Well, when you think of fresh herbs, they have moisture in them, so dried herbs don't. So uh, about one teaspoon of dried herbs to every tablespoon of fresh. To me, that's a good ratio. What do you think? That seems about right. But you know Mm -hmm. me. I never measure anything. 
<laughs> just dump it in till it tastes good. I know you and my mom would have gotten along great. So, but uh, and you know, we could maybe talk some other later time. I don't know if you've ever done where you freeze them in the ice cube trays yeah. too. You know, this is a whole different kind of method and process. But this drying herbs thing—it's so cool. It smells good. You can even decorate the house as you mentioned. I mean, ha- lavender hanging in your kitchen just looks cool. Mm-hmm. So. All right, well, Rita Heikenfeld, we've got abouteating.com linked at sunrisemorningshow.com. Head on over there and check out Rita's stuff. Have a great day. I will, and I'll talk to you next week, Matt. All right, coming up next, we got headlines with Anna Mitchell. It is 16 minutes before the hour. It's not over. Unplanned pregnancies still happen. I'm Marianne Koharski, Director of Pro-Life Across America. In my 30-plus years, I've never seen such a concerted attempt to silence our efforts and at a time when it's most needed. There's a powerful effort to prevent and block our pro-life messages. Our billboards, social media, and digital ads are all impacted. Our messages feature a hotline number connecting callers with more than 3,000 pregnancy support centers across America, offering alternatives to abortion, free ultrasound, and pregnancy assistance. Babies' lives are being saved. The need still exists. It really does. And Pro-Life Across America needs your help. Please find us at prolifeacrossamerica.org. Did you know I could suck my thumb before I was born? Yep, we all started small. You start your day a better way by listening to the Sunrise Morning Show. Soon, you'll be able to watch as well. That's right. Starting September 25th, you'll be able to watch the Sunrise video stream on social media and at sunrisemorningshow.com. You'll also be able to see the faces of the regular Sunrise Morning Show family. Plus, you'll get to see what my hair looks like first thing in the morning. And whether I ever crack a smile at Matt's terrible jokes. Spoiler alert, she does. Sunrise goes to video September 25th. Tune in at sunrisemorningshow.com. I used to wonder if God really cared, why it mattered what church I went to, or why I even bothered with faith at all. Then I started praying more often and going to church. What happened? My relationships got stronger, and I felt a peace that I never had before. I realized that God in my life was the difference between occasionally being happy and finding lasting joy. If you're looking for something more, check out catholicscomehome.com. I'm spiritual, but do I have to be religious? Join me, Dr. David Andrews, as we answer your questions on Call to Communion today at 2 p.m. Eastern. Now, back to the Sunrise Morning Show. 14 till. Here's Anna with headlines. The Global Caritas Network is offering support to Caritas Rabat to help those devastated by the largest earthquake to hit Morocco in more than a century. The Holy See's delegation to the United Nations and other international organizations has appealed to the international community to adhere to the Convention on Cluster Munitions. And the Biden administration is clearing the way for a prisoner exchange with Iran to free five Americans being held there. News at the top and bottom of each hour every weekday morning here on the Sunrise Morning Show. Thanks for joining us on this Tuesday, September the 12th. The Sunrise Morning Show continues. I'm Matt Swaim, joined now by Holly Ordway. She's Cardinal Francis George Professor of Faith and Culture at the Word on Fire Institute and Visiting Professor of Apologetics at Houston Christian University. I am so excited about this new book of hers, Tolkien's Faith, A Spiritual Biography. Holly, good morning. Good morning. 
All right, to set this up, I think a lot of people understand that Tolkien was a Christian. Um, several people know that he was even a Catholic. Uh, even a lot of atheists who read his work are aware of this fact. But I think there's this narrative out there that uh, a lot of Christians have, a lot of Catholics have, that you know we see Tolkien as this person who's trying to evangelize C.S. Lewis at Oxford. And so Tolkien sometimes appears in our minds as this sort of fully formed Catholic gentleman, <laughs> and uh, I don't think a lot of us know how he got that way, and I guess this is your task, right? It is absolutely what this book is about, because I discovered in the course of my research that his his faith was hard-won, um, it, it was very dynamic, uh, it started out, for instance, I mean, he himself was a convert. That's little recognized, because his mother became a Catholic when he was eight years old, and that was old enough for him to very firmly remember what it was like to be in the Church of England. Um, very dramatic change for him in terms of worship, um, I mean, for one thing, from English to Latin. Boom, right there at that, at that time. And he had to embrace the faith like as an adult, because in the way that the Church handled um, incoming counsel at the time, he was considered to be above the age of reason, so he wasn't just received along with his mother— he was formally received in the Church when he made his First Holy Communion and Confirmation when just before his 12th birthday. And he was in a context in which there was so much social disapproval of Catholicism and so much pressure for him to, you know, come back to the faith of his, of his extended family, who were all Protestants, that that initial step when he was, you know, 11, almost 12, was genuinely meaningful. He was affirming his faith in his own right, not just tagging along with his mom. And again, you know, he had, he had a bit of a slump when he was undergraduate. He admitted that he was slack in his faith, but then he stepped up to it um, and revitalized his faith, got through World War One, the Great War, traumatic experience, with his faith intact and strong. But then after that, he had a long stretch, you know, years, in which he said he almost ceased to practice his religion. And he comes out of that around the time that he starts, he becomes friends with C.S. Lewis, starts helping Lewis to become a Christian, grows stronger in his own faith, and then he matures and develops into you know, this, this strong Catholic whom we know and we recognize. But I think it's so helpful to realize that it was, it was a bumpy road to get there. He had a lot of tests to his commitment and a lot of opportunities and pressures to, to say, well, I'm going to bail out and become an Anglican, and he didn't. You know, I want to go back to his earlier years because, you know, over at the Coming Home Network, we work with a lot of people who bring in their families, and sometimes their kids are too young to know the difference, but sometimes their kids are definitely old enough <laughs> to know the difference. <laughs> and you could say, well, Tolkien was an 8-year-old, and then, you know, he has to make this profession of faith as a 12-year-old, but his mom very much must have had must have had great reasons for converting, so he could spend the next several decades just asking her about that reasoning and develop with that over time, except she died, right? I mean, he ends up kind of on his own in this question. Yeah, I mean, she dies one in his, in his 12th year, so he, he's, he's not even been um, a full member of the church very long, and she gives him and his brother into the care of their guardian, Father Francis Morgan, a priest of the Birmingham Oratory, and it's Father Francis who effectively becomes a second father to them and raises them in the context of the Birmingham Oratory. And this is, again, so pivotal, because it's, we know the end of the story. We know that he you know, retains his faith despite struggles. He, he ends up a very strong Catholic, 
We tend to take it for granted that his faith remained strong in childhood, but his mother had died in poverty and sickness because she became a Catholic. <laughs> you know, she, in becoming a Catholic, her family cut her off, and that meant that they, they were poor, they, she was stressed. It undoubtedly accelerated the, you know, the, the progress of the diabetes that killed her. And that could very easily have led to resentment against his mother's faith. Why did you do this to us? Why couldn't we have stayed in the bosom of the family? You know, why, you know, this new faith has caused all of our problems. Psychologically, that could very easily have been the case. So I think we have a lot of really good pastoral care going on here with Father Francis, the other Birmingham Oratory Fathers, helping him work through the grief and of, of his, you know, with his mother's death and what that meant for his faith. He spoke later in life of how Father Francis taught him forgiveness, taught him charity and forgiveness. And I think that really points to helping him to forgive, you know, his extended family for their, you know, cutting off of his, his mother um, and the support that she could have received from them. And maybe even a certain amount of sort of forgiveness for, for himself. His children can get very tangled up, <laughs> you know, emotionally when, they're, when their parents die. So we have this really pivotal moment where he's learning to deal with these huge questions of, of grief, the problem of suffering, you know, as, as a boy. And he does learn them. He engages with them deeply. He faces them and comes through it. And I think that ends up being a hugely powerful element in his later work. You know, the Lord of the Rings has a lot of suffering in it. It doesn't just dodge it. It goes, it goes through it. It recognizes it. Well, you've helped me put together something that I've never put together before with uh, J.R.R. Tolkien through this caretaker, this mentor, uh, Father Francis Morgan, because if Father Francis Morgan is an oratory priest around the time that J.R.R. Tolkien is 12, does that mean that his mentor would have known John Henry Newman? Absolutely. In fact, Father Francis was new Newman personally. He served as his personal secretary for a while. Um, he had been Newman's student, so we have a, a very close connection. Um, Newman was personally known to many of the oratory fathers whom Tolkien knew well and, and you know, was raised up amongst. And indeed, yeah, his, his guardian, Father Francis, knew Newman very well, was his secretary, worked for him, was trusted by him. And so I, I like to think of it that, you know, if Newman is sort of the spiritual father of Father Francis uh, as, a, as the founder of the Birmingham Oratory, and, and Father Francis was a student and an Oratorian priest. And Father Francis is whom Tolkien called his second father. So we have kind of a, a spiritual lineage here. Newman is kind of Tolkien's spiritual grandfather in a way. You just gave me chills, and that's just one of a, num a number of connections I know you make and a number of insights into... Uh, what made J.R.R. Tolkien the kind of person that he was, uh, and to write these things that resonate so deeply with so many of us. I, I know that our listeners are going to want to find out more about this book and where they can get it. Uh, if they want to find your book on Tolkien's spiritual journey, uh, Holly Ordway, how do they do so? Well, they can go to wardonfire.org slash Tolkien, um, where they'll get a direct you know, link to it from the publisher. Um, you can also find it on Amazon and, you know, wherever good books are sold, <laughs> you can find a copy. Again, the book is called Tolkien's Faith, A Spiritual Biography. Have a great day. We'll talk to you again soon. Excellent. Thank you. So you can find it 
wherever good books are sold. You could probably find it where some bad books are sold, too. I mean, I, this is going to be one that gets out there into the bookstores. It's a word-on-fire book. Uh, Anna Mitchell, had you ever heard that before, that the priest who was Tolkien's caregiver and mentor was himself mentored by John Henry Newman? Did no. you know that? No, that's crazy to think about. The... <laughs> It's well. It's it just opens so up cool. this whole it, new uh, like yeah, lens I mean, for thinking like, about Lord of the Rings. It's so mind blowing to think about the influence that went into the Lord of the Rings like that. The formation that happened prior to that. You made a great point at the beginning of the conversation that you you know you just kind of think of Tolkien as this you know well-formed Catholic gentleman from the get-go, but shows no, up it's like... smoking a pipe in a tweed jacket knowing everything about Catholicism. I know, exactly. And no, I mean, there was a lot of formation in that, and how cool and how incredible to know that that formation began with John Henry Newman. Wow. Well, as you know, Anna Mitchell, over at the Coming Home Network, we're, uh, we're pretty aware that everybody's on a journey. It's true. And if... Tolkien's major work is about being on a journey, going on journeys. Mm-hmm. One might wonder if Tolkien himself was is writing on a from journey? his own experience of mm. having been on a journey, mm. being on one. Interesting. F- yes. What a theory. Another full hour of the Sunrise Morning Show coming up after this. It's three till. At SacredHeartRadio.com. It is Tuesday, the 12th of September, the Feast of the Holy Name of Mary. Let's pray a prayer for uh, all who are suffering from any kind of acute or chronic illness, especially if it involves a lot of pain. A prayer to Our Lady Health of the Sick, in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Our Lady Health of the Sick, I look to you for the comfort of a mother's love. I pray to you on behalf of those who are suffering and for my own healing needs. Mary, your love strengthens me and brings me peace. Our Lady, health of the sick, embrace all who are emotionally and physically ill, that they may return to good health under your tender care. And please intercede for my own special needs. Mary, your love strengthens me and brings me peace. Our Lady, health of the sick, pray for us. Glory to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. Praying for those of you who woke up this morning and just hurt. Maybe some of you who uh, you didn't wake up this morning because you didn't sleep last night through anxiety or pain or whatever it is. I feel like I talk to a lot of people who have all kinds of issues going on. I want to let you know that we are praying for you this morning, that you get a little peace and some strength in the mix as well. It is the Sunrise Morning Show. I'm Matt Swaim. Anna Mitchell has news. Paul Lockman at the controls. And up this hour, Father Frank Donio is going to talk about the life of St. Vincent Pallotti, who, uh, well, the spoiler alert is that Father Frank Donio is in an order founded by St. Vincent. So we'll get, a, get to learn a little bit about him. He's considered by some to be kind of like a second St. Philip Neri. He's got a fascinating story. 
And we'll hear some of that in a little bit. Danielle Bean will talk about sending your kid off to school, maybe for the first time. Some of you uh, have kids who just started, your first kid just started school. And uh, it has been a wild ride so far. Danielle's got some tips. Steve Ray will do um, part of a series that we've been doing with him during the month of September on Our Lady of Sorrows. Of course, that is what the month of September is dedicated to on the church calendar. And then Chris McGregor will look at what St. Bernard of Clairvaux had to say about the Sorrowful Mother. So stay with us if you can. Right now, it is two minutes past the hour. Here's Anna Mitchell with news, a service of Central Fabricators and centralfabricators.com. Good morning. Catholic Relief Services reports that the enormity of loss and grief is widespread as people navigate the aftermath of the devastating earthquake in Morocco. More than 2,800 people have been killed. The death toll is still expected to rise. Thousands were injured as the quake was the strongest to hit the nation in more than a century. Offers of assistance have been pouring in from around the world, including from the U.S. CRS says Catholic Relief Services is supporting Caritas Rabat, whose teams mobilized a response within 24 hours to the hardest-to-reach areas. The Holy See's delegation to the United Nations and other international organizations has appealed for the international community to adhere to the Convention on Cluster Munitions. From Vatican Radio, Thaddeus Jones reports. The Convention on Cluster Munitions is an international treaty of more than 100 nations that prohibits all use, production, transfer, and stockpiling of cluster munitions. The treaty came into force on August 1st in 2010. The Holy See Statement first notes appreciation for Iraq's commitment to the convention and the preparations it made for the Geneva meeting, while also congratulating Nigeria and South Sudan for acceding to it. Statement notes that any additional state party to the convention represents a renewed impulse to achieve universality, further ensuring that there will be fewer victims in the future and that those who are already tragically affected can be properly assisted. The Holy See representative then made an appeal for all states that are not yet party to the convention to join other nations who've signed it and are fully adhering to it for the benefit of all. The Holy See then recalled the Convention's fundamental principles, especially the unequivocal reaffirmation of the preeminent and inherent value of human dignity and the centrality of the human person. The Holy See then appealed to all parties to the conflict in Ukraine to put an immediate end to the use of cluster munitions and echoed Pope Francis' continuing appeals to mobilize for peace in the war-torn Ukraine. In conclusion, the delegation noted Pope Francis' closeness to the victims of the many wars in our world while expressing gratitude for states' parties to the convention for their commitment and generosity in assisting the victims of cluster munitions with the sincere hope that we may continue with even greater vigor on this noble path in the defense of human dignity and life as well as the realization of the common good of all people. I'm Thaddeus Jones. The Biden administration is clearing the way for a prisoner exchange with Iran to free five Americans being held there. It has issued a waiver for foreign banks to transfer $6 billion in Iranian oil funds that have been held up by U.S. sanctions. All five Americans were transferred from prison to house arrest in Tehran while the agreement between the U.S. and Iran was finalized. They've all been deemed wrongfully detained by the State Department. In exchange, the administration will release five Iranian citizens detained in the United States. 
Tech industry leaders will be on Capitol Hill this week to discuss artificial intelligence. More from Mark Mayfield. Senators will hear from Elon Musk, Mark Zuckerberg, Bill Gates, and others during a closed-door meeting Wednesday. This comes as Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer has prioritized bringing lawmakers up to speed on the rapidly advancing AI technology. I'm Mark Mayfield. And the American Red Cross is declaring a national blood shortage. The organization says the country's blood supply has dropped by almost 25 percent since early last month. The Red Cross warns the shortage could potentially threaten the medical care of patients with critical conditions such as cancer and sickle cell disease or those who have an emergency need for blood. Natural disasters like Hurricane Idalia are being blamed by the Red Cross for hindering efforts to collect blood. The Red Cross is monitoring Hurricane Lee and how it may impact the Northeast this week. All right. So if you're able, get out there. You know, as the saying goes, you know, blood donation saved our lives. We're a church living on the body and blood of Christ. So, uh, for a second there, I was wondering where you were. I was like, what saying has to do with blood? Okay. That makes a lot more there, sense. There's an old like Protestant t shirt that used to say that. Of course, they didn't, they were not saying it from a sacramental viewpoint. No. We are. And the Red Cross, certainly not, um, sacramental either. No, but, but you know, Christ gave his body and blood for us. If you have the opportunity, then uh, I would say go for it. Go for it. You know, who knows who that person might help mm-hmm. or who that who that blood might help, what person might be beneficial, might be benefiting from from you making that little sacrifice. So, and you get, like, peanut butter crackers yeah, afterwards get, like, uh, and some orange juice. Some OJ. Yeah. I mean, how could it get any better? There you go. I don't know. Today is Tuesday, September the 12th. It is the Feast of the Most Holy Name of Mary. Lots more on Our Lady of Sorrows coming up at the end of the hour. Hope you can stick around for it. Right now, it's eight past. Father Frank Donio is joining us again on the Sunrise Morning Show from the Catholic Apostolate Center. Good morning, Father Frank. Good morning, Anna. So we're going to start a little mini-series today on the life and spirituality of St. Vincent Pallotti, the the founder of the Palatines, of which you are a member. And we're going to talk about his life today. Born in 1795, was he born into a a faithful family? Very faithful family. Uh, Both parents were were deeply uh, committed to the faith. And and it's important to, to... Think about the time. So the French Revolution occurs in 1789. Mm-hmm. He's born in 1795. In 1798, a revolution occurs in Rome. Pope Pius VI is run out of Rome, and he dies in exile. Eventually, Pope Pius VII was elected, but... He was even taken by Napoleon. Pilates ordained in 1818. In the first, let's say, 20 years of his life, the, the Pope comes back in about 1815 after Napoleon's defeat. So he's raised in this, in this situation of revolution where people were really throwing off their faith. His parents, on the other hand, were deeply, deeply committed to their faith. And they imbued this in in his in him and his siblings. Unfortunately, various of his siblings uh, passed away very young, and 
so he was uh, wanted to be a priest, and partially it's because of the upbringing that he had. Wow. I mean, that gives a lot of hope for parents listening today when you look at the culture around us and think there's no hope to bring uh, to bring up faithful kids in a in a world like today, but man, go back to the uh, the early 19th century, and uh, things were just as turbulent. Yeah, this is Rome. Let's stop for a moment and think, because <laughs> the whole center of Italy at this point, the Pope is also the the civil ruler. This is not just simply Vatican city state. This is the whole center of Italy yeah. that he was civil ruler of, and and so. The, the whole world, both civil and ecclesiastical, gets thrown upside down. And, and that happens off and on throughout Pilates' life. And there are these people who, it, it really drove him to try to revive the faith of Catholics and rekindle charity. That's what really drove him. And he was ordained a diocesan priest for the Diocese of Rome. You can walk from where he was born to where he died, which is now the, the church of uh, our, our generalate, which is on the Tiber right at the Ponte Sisto, the, the bridge that's there, um, crossing into Trastevere. And there's a church there where his body is there. He's incorrupt. And it's a 10-minute walk. His entire ministry was What's... in the city center of Rome. He's one of the few modern Roman saints. So his whole ministry was in the city of Rome, out in the streets, evangelizing out in the streets. Sometimes he would do street preaching, uh, yeah. caring for the poor, great love for the poor and the suffering and the dying, just, just constantly everywhere. He also worked a lot with seminarians and with priests. He was a, a seminary professor for the first 10 years of his priesthood, but he was always out in the streets. And he created this group of lay people, religious and clergy that he called the Catholic apostolate, a universal apostolate um, that he founded in 1835. And, and that became the beginnings of later uh, religious communities of priests and brothers and of sisters, as well as in this, this lay component that still exists today. Was he rather successful in his evangelization efforts um, in his his lifetime? Um, was he known for his sanctity in his lifetime? Yes, Tr uh, tremendously known for his sanctity. But he also had a number of saint, what are who are now saint and blessed friends. Uh, that so, seems to be the case with saints. Yeah, it, it was really, other. you know, St. Saint, Gaspar saint del Buffalo. Yeah. Um, St. Vincent Strombi of the Passionists. Blessed Pius the Ninth, who he knew as a layperson, wow, and and predicted that he would be Pope, and uh, Blessed Anna Maria Tiagi uh, of the Trinitarian tradition, uh, Blessed Elizabeth Sana, who was a uh, a co close collaborator with him, who also was a Franciscan tertiary, but was in the Franciscan Third Order, but also in, you know, Pilati was Third Order everything. Uh, mm -hmm. it, it was fascinating. Five different. Third orders, various confraternities, <laughs> arch but he could just move from church to church in Rome awesome. and, and and just do these different things. It was it was fa fascinating, uh, but also you know trying to to call people to greater greater holiness. He was a, he was a very sought after confessor, uh, and you know there were very mystical things which we'll talk about in later uh, later conversations that that also occur. So he was an apostle and a mystic. Mm. He was both. 
and it, it's a, this, he had this fantastic sense of God's as infinite, and then also the needs of the person right in front of him. You know, Father, there are a lot of similarities as I'm listening to you talk um, with another apostle of Rome, St. Philip Neri. Yes, yes. In fact, there there were people at his death, you know, who talked about Pilate as a second St. Philip Neri. Wow. And, and and then unfortunately, at the end of his life, you know, so he starts these these communities, he started an orphanage, which still exists uh, for at-risk children that became where the Palatine sisters emanated from. The, the priests and brothers started to grow. He didn't want to start a group of, of religious men, but that's what happened um, in, the, in the 1840s. And then in 1848, you know, another revolution comes mm-hmm. and he's he had to hide out. And, and they went through, he was hiding out in the Irish college because he was spiritual director to several of the college, Pontifical Urban College, English College, Irish College, Scots College. Wow. And so he's very interested in what was happening in the Catholic Church in the British Isles, for example, and here as well, and helped missionary efforts. So this group that he founded was about mission, the, the church's work in the missions, uh, reviving the faith of Catholics, and universal charity. That's what Catholic society or the union of Catholic apostles was all about. And then uh, they, they went room by room trying to kill him, uh, the revolutionaries in 1848. And then when he was hiding out in the Irish college, he was there for about six months, but survived. And they passed his room for some reason because they were killing mm. priests. And then in, in uh, 1850, he gave away his cloak in a January, this very cold rain. If you've ever been in Rome at that time of year, a lot of cold rain, gave away his cloak. And as he was helping the poor, he gave it to a poor person and then um, contracted a pleurisy, you know, formed kind of close to similar to pneumonia and then died. Didn't have a lot of followers. He wasn't, he wasn't St. You know, John Bosco or Mother Teresa but he said on his deathbed, the society will grow and flourish. And he was right. We're 2,456 countries, just the priests and brothers, mm. and thousands of people affected by his spirituality. Well, I'm certainly grateful for his effect on you and uh, the work that you do through the Catholic Apostolate Center, and particularly your ministry here on the Sunrise Morning Show. So looking forward to diving more into his life and spirituality with you in the next couple of weeks. We've been talking to Father Frank Donio, and you can find the Catholic Apostolate Center linked at sunrisemorningshow.com. Father, thank you. Thank you, and God bless. You too, Father. Thank you very much. All right, 17 past now on the Sunrise Morning Show. We're back with headlines right after this. Central Fabricators is proud to support the Sunrise Morning Show, where you'll get news from the Catholic perspective while keeping you up to date on what's happening in the Vatican as well. It's also a great way to keep in touch with the Catholic faith throughout the week. Central Fabricators, based in Cincinnati, Ohio, is a family-owned business for over 75 years, manufacturing and repairing corrosion-resistant storage tanks, reactors, and pressure vessels. On the web at centralfabricators.com. That's centralfabricators.com. The first annual Dominican Rosary Pilgrimage, sponsored by the Dominican Friars Foundation, will take place on Saturday, September 30th at the Basilica of the Immaculate Conception in Washington, D.C. This all-day event will feature conferences by Father Gregory Pine, resuscitation of the rosary, a fervorino by Father Lawrence Liu, and mass with Father James Brent as homilist. Join us for this day of prayer to Our Lady. For more information, visit rosarypilgrimage.org. That's rosarypilgrimage.org. 
The kids got new supplies for back to school, so what do the parents get? Well, we suggest treating yourself to some good coffee, and the Mystic Monks of Wyoming have a number of blends to choose from. And when you link to the Mystic Monk Coffee site through our site, sonrisemorningshow.com, we earn a commission on whatever you buy. You can also treat yourself to a Sunrise Morning Show mug or travel mug and a water bottle for your kid in our online store. Check out our store and link to Mystic Monk Coffee at sunrisemorningshow.com. EWTN podcasts are the perfect companion for busy Catholics everywhere. Your favorite EWTN programs are waiting for you to listen to on your time. With on-demand access to audio, you can pause and pick up right where you left off, anytime, anywhere. Just subscribe by using your mobile device's free podcast app. Find old favorites or discover something new. EWTN podcasts, they're waiting for you. 19 past, here's Anna with headlines. Catholic Relief Services reports that the enormity of loss and grief is widespread. More than 2,800 people have been killed and the death toll is expected to rise after that devastating earthquake in Morocco. The Holy See's delegation to the United Nations is urging the international community to adhere to the Convention on Cluster Munitions. And Pope Francis welcomed the leader of the Malankara Orthodox Syrian Church at the Vatican yesterday. Next newscast coming up in about 11 minutes. Anna Mitchell, there are a lot of dramas going on in the church. A lot of them. A lot of them. I don't feel like talking about most of them because they do not make me holier. Sure. The discussion of them. Yeah. But I do want to address something that pops up uh, almost every time a drama pops up, which is this question of people saying, well, that person is not a real Catholic or that person's a fake Catholic or that person's not Catholic anymore. Uh, I just want to make a, a clear point about what sacramental theology There's an indelible teaches. mark on you when you're so, baptized. In paragraph 1272 of the, of the catechism, it says, Baptism seals the Christian with the indelible spiritual mark or character of his belonging to Christ. What does indelible nope. mean? It means it's stuck with you forever. It's on your soul. It goes on to say, No sin can erase this mark. Even if sin prevents baptism from bearing the fruits of salvation. Yep. Gotta be so, careful. Um, I uh, don't deny up. Catholic sacramental don't theology. De- in your attempt to Just, defend the faith, yeah. don't deny sacramental theology. That's all I'm saying. Good point, Matt. That person's not Catholic anymore. Yes, they are. Ever supplies for back to school, so what do the parents get? Well, we suggest treating yourself to some good coffee, and the Mystic Monks of Wyoming have a number of blends to choose from. And when you link to the Mystic Monk Coffee site through our site, sonrisemorningshow.com, we earn a commission on whatever you buy. You can also treat yourself to a Sunrise Morning Show mug or travel mug and a water bottle for your kid in our online store. Check out our store and link to Mystic Monk Coffee at sunrisemorningshow.com. This past year has been a crazy roller coaster ride, but you have the power to get your business back on track by underwriting the Sunrise Morning Show. Weekday mornings, your message will reach millions of engaged Catholic listeners across the U.S. and around the globe who want to know more about and support Catholic businesses and organizations. To get national exposure for your business, ministry, or nonprofit on the Sunrise Morning Show, email me, Leah, at sacredheartradio.com. That's Leah at sacredheartradio.com. This is Father Rob Jack with the Sacred Heartbeat. One of the titles given to the Sacred Heart of Jesus is Burning Furnace of Charity. Who can purify the human heart? 
Who can change our selfish love into a selfless love? The answer to both these questions is Jesus Christ. Christ's love for all people is intense and passionate. He desires to purify our hearts of all those things that prevent us from truly receiving God's grace. The mystics have described the heart of Jesus as a burning furnace which destroys sin. God puts nothing in the path of his love for us, but we put many things in the way of our love for God. By giving our hearts and souls and minds and bodies over to the Lord, we're asking him to remake us over into his image, not ours. Let us not be afraid to enter into the furnace of God's love. It's the only way that we will ever know Christ better. Heart of Jesus, burning furnace of charity, pray for us. It's 23 minutes past the hour, and you're listening to the Sunrise Morning Show on the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. Danielle Bean back with us now on the Sunrise Morning Show. Connect with her, invite her to speak or lead a retreat through daniellebean.com. Listen to her girlfriend's podcast through goodcatholic.com. Join the community at girlfriendscommunity.com. Good morning, Danielle. Good morning. How are you? I am doing great, thank you. And that's that time of year when moms and dads are sending their kids off to school, and some of them for the first time ever. I mean, by first time, though, do I mean sending off college freshmen, or am I talking about (laughs) preschoolers? What do you think is more emotionally charged? Oh, You know what? They all are. I've realized, you know, I think... Definitely the sending off to college or your kids going, you know, joining the military or those big life moves are more emotionally challenging. But as I've gone through those as a parent myself, I've realized the entire time I've been parenting these kids has been a series of letting go, saying goodbye. Those tiny little bittersweet moments where your child's making a first new next move toward independence. They're wonderful and we celebrate them. And yet at the same time, They stab us in the heart a little bit, don't they? Letting go. I think I remember reading a book with that title. (laughs) Yeah, so my book, Giving Thanks and Letting Go, which is published through Ave Maria Press, I I wrote it a few years back when I was just reflecting on this stage of life that I'm in right now with my family and with kids going off to college, getting married, those other kinds of things, and realizing that that was really the mantra that I found myself turning to time and again, that I was really being called to do exactly that at every stage of this process was giving thanks and letting go. And there really are so many applications of that one simple phrase in all the different parts of life, but family life in particular. Yeah, for sure. So uh, preschool and college, I mean, two very different stages of life. But at the same time, as I was I was thinking, I mean, I've never sent a kid off to college, but I've been sent off to college. Um, right. There are a lot of similarities in terms of being a parent and allowing your child to grow in independence. Right. Isn't that, just, isn't that fascinating to think about? Like yeah. they're just allowing your child to grow up and move on in some way. Like that's that's a difficult, painful process for us as a parent, and yet... You know, you just mentioned, like, whether you're sending your kid off to school for the first time or they're they're going away to college or these different ways that we're letting go, it truly is a joyful moment as well. Like, bittersweet really is the, the experience that we have in those moments. So, that said, I mean, a preschooler is 
going to come home every day and need you for almost everything from, you know, the middle of the day on again. Um, so what special advice do you have, Danielle, for, for parents who are sending their kids off to college for the first time? Yeah, I, I, the number one thing I encourage parents to do is just give yourself grace. Give yourself time and space to fully experience what you're going through. It can be a very busy time. I noticed this myself with several of my kids. If you're preparing to take them to school, maybe you're making a trip with them, getting their dorms set up and all of these things. And that can be very distracting because you've got a lot going on. But make sure that you're giving yourself the time to process what you're experiencing. That doesn't mean wallowing in negative emotions, but truly being honest about you know what might be challenging for you in experiencing this, what might be hard for you. Give yourself that kind of grace, and that might mean building in some margins in your life. Maybe you freeing up a little bit more time on your calendar during this, this process where it really is a grieving process in, in some ways. It's a really a letting go that can be very painful for parents, but I always encourage people to fully experience it, process it, be honest, talk through your feelings with somebody, journal if you enjoy doing that kind of thing, but fully understand what you are going through. And, you know, it's, it's, in, the, it's in the feeling that you find the healing, right? I think that's yeah. a helpful phrase to remember. So allow yourself to feel those emotions and don't stuff them down or try to distract yourself. Well, should you call your kid or should you wait for the kid to call you? <laughs> Well, I think there's a there's a time limit on how long you wait, right? Okay, so, sure. <laughs> but but for sure, give them a little bit of space too, because they're going through something as well. I find that texting is something that I've really come to rely on with my big kids as they've gone off, uh, because it's a little less intrusive and it's it's easy for them to you know send you to a quick ghost reply. You? Oh. Sometimes that's all we need is a little check in, like you're still alive, you're doing all right, and they're busy living their lives, so maybe they're not going to have a time for an hour long phone call with mom. But those, those times come, too, and they really are a special blessing. I thought you were going to say it allows your kid to ignore you, to ghost you, to, you know, just like <laughs> no, live no, their no. own lives. Oh, okay. That's not allowed. That's not allowed. <laughs> we need some basic communication, but also making sure that you are giving them space as well, which I know can be a very challenging thing. Yeah, absolutely. So how do you pray for your kids in these seminal moments, whether it be preschool or, or sending them off to college? Yeah, well, first of all, just make sure you are, right? Like, yeah. so, so many times we feel helpless in these moments and like, oh, my parenting is done. My kid doesn't need me anymore. Oh, no, they definitely need you. And I know myself as having experienced the blessing of a praying mom in my life. I count on my mom as a prayer warrior in my life. And we are called to be that to our kids. So even if you're not right there, you know, making them breakfast in the morning and helping them pick out what to wear and holding their hand on the way to class, you can be there present spiritually. You can be encouraging them. Pray to their guardian angels especially, I think, is a yes. powerful way to connect with your child through prayer. How about praying for yourself in these moments, Danielle? Is that okay? <laughs> of course, yes. Pray for the grace and strength to, to be a good mother in these moments, to be a good parent, to be the person that God wants you to be. And then ultimately, I encourage people, when you're in a stage of change like this, bring these words to prayer. What next? what now? Ask God what he is calling you to do next, because I promise you, he has a plan for your life right now. It's not all over. He has people in your life for you to love and serve, and he's going to show you what your next stage is. Love it. Thank you so much, Danielle Bean. You can find her girlfriend's podcast linked at sunrisemorningshow.com. That's S-O-N-RiseMorningShow.com. Be sure to click that subscribe button so you can get the information in your inbox as we go on the air. 
half past the hour now on the Sunrise Morning Show. It's time for news. The Global Caritas Network is offering support to Caritas Rabat to help those devastated by the largest earthquake to hit Morocco in more than a century. Catholic Relief Services reports the priorities are emergency shelter, food, clean water and hygiene supplies, blankets, kitchenwares, and support for medical assistance and counseling. Another priority is planning for long-term support. CRS reports more than 300,000 people have been affected. At least 2,490 were killed. Access to remote areas with the worst destruction, especially in the mountain towns, remains difficult. But Caritas, which has a long-standing presence in the country, mobilized within 24 hours to reach those areas. Pope Francis welcomed the leader of the Malankara Orthodox Syrian Church at the Vatican yesterday. From Vatican Radio, Francesca Merlo reports. Pope Francis welcomed His Holiness Basilius Thomas Matthews III, the Catholicos of the Eastern Malankara Metropolitan of the Malankara Orthodox Syrian Church during a visit to the Vatican. In his address, Pope Francis expressed gratitude for their growing bonds since the Second Vatican Council and highlighted the historical visits and meetings between their respective predecessors. May I say, Your Holiness, that here you are at home as a beloved and long-awaited brother, said Pope Francis. He acknowledged the ancient faith of the Malankara Orthodox Syrian Church, tracing its origins to the Apostle Thomas and emphasized the shared faith in Jesus as Lord and God, In this regard, the Holy Father noted that the faith of St. Thomas was inseparable from his experience of the wounds of the body of Christ. The divisions that have occurred throughout history between us Christians have been painful wounds inflicted on the body of Christ that is the Church. We ourselves continue to witness their effects. The Malankara Orthodox Syrian Church, also known as the Indian Orthodox Church, or simply as the Malankara Church, is an autocephalous Oriental Orthodox Church. The Pope concluded by invoking St. Thomas the Apostle's intercession for unity and witness, connecting it to St. Thomas's transition from disbelief to belief upon seeing Jesus' wounds, saying, When the Lord showed his wound, St. Thomas passed from disbelief to belief by what he saw. May our shared contemplation of the crucified and risen Lord lead to the complete healing of our past wounds so that before our eyes, transcending all distance and misunderstanding, he may appear. I'm Francesca Merlo. The Holy See's delegation to the United Nations and other international organizations is appealing to Ukraine, the U.S. and Russia and to the entire international community to adhere to the Convention on Cluster Munitions. This coming in the wake of the U.S. sending cluster munitions to Ukraine to aid in their fight against Russia. The U.S., Russia, and Ukraine are among those that did not enter into the convention, which vowed not to produce, stockpile, or use cluster bombs. The Holy See delegation asked all parties in the conflict to put an immediate end to the use of cluster munitions. The Biden administration is clearing the way for a prisoner exchange with Iran to free five Americans being held there. It has issued a waiver for foreign banks to transfer $6 billion in Iranian oil funds that have been held up by U.S. sanctions. All five Americans were transferred from prison to house arrest in Tehran while the agreement between the U.S. and Iran was finalized. They've all been deemed wrongfully detained by the U.S. State Department. In exchange, the administration will release five Iranian citizens detained in the U.S. Time is running out to avoid a strike against America's top automakers. 
Mark Mayfield reports. The United Auto Workers Union is readying to go on strike Friday if GM, Ford, and Stellantis don't meet demands on pay raises, pensions, and job protections. Up to 146,000 workers are set to walk off the job if they can't come to a new agreement impacting production and increasing prices. One estimate says a strike lasting just 10 days could result in a total loss of more than $5 billion for the U.S. economy. I'm Mark Mayfield. Authorities say an escaped murderer, Daniello Cavalcante, could be in an area about 30 miles northwest of Philadelphia, and they're telling residents to shelter in place. He's been on the run for nearly two weeks after escaping from prison in Chester County, where he was serving a life sentence. There is a $25,000 reward for any information that could lead to Cavalcante's capture. That's the news on the Sunrise Morning Show. It's 35 minutes past the hour. You start your day a better way by listening to the Sunrise Morning Show. Soon you'll be able to watch as well. That's right. Starting September 25th, you'll be able to watch the Sunrise video stream on social media and at sunrisemorningshow.com. You'll also be able to see the faces of the regular Sunrise Morning Show family. Plus, you'll get to see what my hair looks like first thing in the morning. And whether I ever crack a smile at Matt's terrible jokes. Spoiler alert, she does. Sunrise goes to video September 25th. Tune in at sunrisemorningshow.com. Waking up with Mystic Monk Coffee is definitely a better way to start your day. Not only are you getting a great cup of coffee, but your purchase helps support the life of the Carmelite Monks of Wyoming. And your purchase can also help our work. All you need to do is go first to sonricemorningshow.com. When you click the Mystic Monk link on the side of the page, we earn a commission. Support the monks and support the Sunrise Morning Show. Click the Mystic Monk link at sunrisemorningshow.com. That's sonrisemorningshow.com. The Baltimore Catechism asks, what is baptism? Baptism is a sacrament which cleanses us from original sin, makes us Christians, children of God, and heirs of heaven. First, original sin. This is something we have inherited from Adam and Eve, and it removes us from the vision of God. Baptism takes away both original sin that we have inherited and our personal sin. Baptism makes us Christians. It is by baptism that I can say that I am one with Christ, I have died with him, and I hope to rise again with him. It makes me a child of God. Through that spiritual union with God, I can now say that I am like him, an adopted son, and baptism makes me an heir of heaven. Because those who are the sons and daughters of the king, well, they have a right to the kingdom. Let us thank the Lord for baptism and all the graces that it confers upon us. Reflecting on the Baltimore Catechism, I'm Dominican Father Ezra Sullivan. The Sunrise Morning Show continues. I'm Matt Swaim, and September is dedicated to Our Lady of Sorrows. And these are... uh, a series of devotions where we look at, you know, kind of the the plight that Our Lady had. You know, it's a great joy to bear the Son of God, but also there is a lot of sorrow and suffering that went along with that as well. Steve Ray from CatholicConvert.com, good morning. Good afternoon. Yes, I always, every time, <laughs> every time, Steve. I have to guess at which, I mean, there's, we should play like some kind of like a, a game with like push pins on a map. Just to map it all out. Uh, so today we're talking about technology, some. Though? 
It, it really is, and in real time as well. Um, you've written some things about the unknown sorrows of, sorrows of Mary. People are very familiar with the seven sorrows, and we've gone over them quite a bit already this month. But these unknown sorrows of Mary are kind of the fruit of sort of personal devotion and reflection on the scriptures. And, you know, when you say unknown sorrows, what do you mean by that? Well, I mean, uh, sorrows that we don't realize, that we read through the scriptures and we think of Mary's life and the seven that we talked about last week are obvious, you know, the uh, death of her son on the cross and so on. But in her life, there were, I've come up with 12 unknown ones that we don't know that have never been, I don't think they've ever been talked about as sorrows of Mary. And because of the time that I've seen scripture and writing and, uh, and and being over here, walking in the footprints of Mary so many times. It's like over 200 times. And I'm in Jerusalem now. And, and I've come up with 12 unknown sorrows. So what I thought we would do since September is the month of the sorrows of Mary. We already did the seven known. I've decided let's do the 12 and divide them up into four so that we have each show that we do this month, we're doing four more of the unknown or unknown recognized sorrows of Mary, but were things that were really sorrows for her. Well, and what I'm thinking is that as we go through this exercise and look at these 12 unknown sorrows of Mary, uh, a lot of other sorrows are going to occur to us as well, just by virtue of us having been parents and thinking about just the natural flow of parenthood. So hopefully this will help us to kind of really enter into what it must have really been like for Jesus to be growing up in a family. So let's start with that first unknown sorrow that you wanted to point out. Okay, I think the first unknown sorrow of Mary's life was the Annunciation. What? Isn't that one of the joyful mysteries? Isn't that? Yes, but the very fact that she was going to be pregnant and have a baby in her womb before she was actually married to Joseph. Now, one of the things that's clear in Israel, as it is today, I've been to weddings already uh, for our friends here in Nazareth. One is the betrothal, which is done in the church. Uh oh, I think we're losing. I believe we're losing Steve here. Uh, Paul, why don't you see if you can get him on the phone if we're able, and if not, we'll uh, we'll sort of move along. Uh, just to to key in on that um, that point, Anna Mitchell, uh, Steve was talking about the Annunciation being a joyful mystery, but also being one of the sorrows of of Mary because yeah. you know there is this great joy. Uh, in this announcement, there's also Mary saying, uh, how is this going to work? <laughs> yeah, right? well, you know, it's funny that um, I remember because, well, Chris McGregor is going to be coming up here in a couple of minutes to to talk about Our Lady of Sorrows. And I remember having her on the show a couple of years ago um, where we were talking about the, the Feast of the Presentation. And so you have... Um, it's a joyful mystery of the rosary, but in the midst of that story is one of her seven sorrows when Simeon tells her that a sword is going to pierce her heart. And so it's it's always the Catholic both and, right? You have joy the mixed joy with mixed with sorrow. Uh, Matt, I know you're going to go into Inside Out here. Um, the, we're the, here. Oh. Oh, there he is. Steve's back. Hey, Steve. Yes, we're back. So, Steve, well, we walked a little bit the, through the that. Opal didn't. Yeah, it happens, yeah, but, work, but the phone system does. Well, you know, we just walked through that first unknown sorrow of Mary, and I love your point and your notes. How uh, when you know Mary hears this message and it's it's wrapped up with joy, but also a little anticipation and fear, and 
and how if you were Mary, you would have said, Angel, why don't you go tell everybody else in Nazareth what you just told me so there's no suspicion in the community right. <laughs> community about me. But it says in Luke 138, then the angel left her. So she was kind of on her own yeah. with this news. Yes, and she's a 15-year-old girl. How does a 15-year-old girl process this message? And in the Old Testament, of course, a, a young girl who was pregnant out of wedlock would be stoned because she had not been married to have sexual relations. So they would have stoned her at that time. So this whole thing, and marriage is two parts. One is the betrothal, and one is actually when the husband comes to take her to his home. And I've been in, so it's, it's a very real thing. So she, uh, there's probably a reason why she went to visit her relative Elizabeth to get out of town for a little while, because her, sister, her relative Elizabeth to go there kind of on a retreat. But that's the first sorrow, because what, what's going to happen in Nazareth, a very small town of only 250 people, when they find out she's pregnant and Joseph hasn't yet brought her into his home, it's a problem. That's a great sorrow, and, and uh, we could go into it a, a lot more. But the second uh, sorrow, unknown sorrow then, I think is when they're going to Bethlehem and... Joseph is with her on the donkey. She's on a don- We don't know she was on a donkey. We assume that. But when they walked into Jerusalem, uh, Bethlehem, they passed the tomb of Rachel. Rachel was the wife of Jacob 2,000 years earlier, roughly 1,800 years earlier. And they were going into Bethlehem, and Rachel was nine months pregnant. And she got off her camel, gave birth to a baby named Benjamin, and she died in childbirth, and they buried her on the side of the road. By the way, I'm going to be going into Bethlehem in about four days, and that tomb is still there. Yeah, I was about 4, to say this. years later, the tomb of Rachel. Still this is there. one of those that you would not necessarily know because it's not. There's no scripture that records this, but if you've been to the Holy Land, you know that you kind of have to go by that. Yes, and can you imagine Joseph now? 1,800 years later, he's going into Bethlehem, and his wife is nine months pregnant, and he looks over at that tomb of his matriarch, Rachel, and says, oh, dear Lord, please don't let that happen to my wife. And people would say, oh, well, you know, this is the Son of God. It's a predestinate. But but if if you don't have to worry about this baby being having a problem, but uh, the wife, but didn't the angel say, quickly, quickly, Joseph, Flee to Egypt. They're trying to kill the baby. There were real dangers with this family. The Holy Family did not have this. There were real. And so to look over at that tomb and see that, do you think Joseph and Mary weren't concerned? It was a sorrow. Oh, my goodness. Let's hope we don't well, have that Certainly problem. would have known the story very well. I mean, it's the story of the people of Israel uh, right there, one of the most famous stories in their history. You know, because we're short on time, the third unknown sorrow of Mary is one that is it's sort of obvious, but the angle is, is is sort of unique here. The slaughter of the innocents is this tragedy where Herod finds out that there's a new king of Israel, as it were, and goes and has all these children slaughtered in hopes of wiping him out. And if Joseph and Mary are learning about this and know that it's because of this message they've received, of course it would have caused enormous sorrow to Joseph and Mary both. But this fourth unknown sorrow of Mary also involves Joseph, doesn't it, Steve? It does, because somewhere along the line, between the time Jesus was 12 years old, when they found him in the temple, and when he was crucified, that Joseph died. And that's, Joseph was Mary's protector. He was her husband. Can you imagine? And now she has to raise this special boy all by herself, and her husband has died. So you have this, 
And not, not only that, but who's going to take care of Mary now? Because Jesus is going to die on the cross. And in those days, there was no welfare. There was no system to take care of women who were, or, uh, were widows or orphans. These people, it, this was a sorrow for Mary to have her husband, who had been her caretaker and her, the father of her son, die and not knowing now how she's going to be taken care of, which is why Jesus from the cross said, John, now you take care of my mother. Why? Because she doesn't have any other sons, and her husband has died. So these four sor- unknown sorrows of Mary, I think, are very real sorrows. And we can touch on the other ones, the other uh, eight, next time. Sounds great. And, you know, uh, as you mentioned that, that uh, aspect of Mary and Joseph's journey and, and Mary's situation after Joseph died, you know, you think about... Who is the early church most devoted to taking care of? Uh, over and over you see it uh, throughout the book of Acts, throughout the letters of St. Paul and James and the like. It's widows and orphans. It's widows and orphans. That's yeah. who uh, yeah. we are called to, to look out for first and foremost. They're almost a symbol of every kind of need. So, Steve Ray, pray for us when you're in the Holy Land, and we'll talk to you again soon. Looking forward to it. Thanks, Matt. More on the sorrows of Mary through the lens of St. Bernard of Clairvaux. Coming up next with Chris McGregor, it's 13 Till. I'm Bill Torbeck of Tri-State Abrasive and Tool Company, proud to support Sacred Heart Radio. Diamond and CBN are the most advanced cutting tools because they are the hardest materials known. These enable you to machine three to eight times faster compared to carbide while reducing downtime for tool changes by 90%. Improve your productivity when machining hard, cast, and powdered metals or difficult-to-machine materials. Find out more at TheAbrasiveOne.com. That's the number one, TheAbrasiveOne.com. Support is from TBN. Weaving its way through the heart of the Holy Land is a well-worn path that once felt the footsteps of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, King David, and Jesus. Host David Friedman and Mike Pompeo take a sacred journey of hope along Route 60, the biblical highway. Experience the land of the Bible as you've never seen it. In theaters September 18th and 19th, Route 60, the biblical highway. Information at route60.movie. That's route60.movie. For more than 150 years, the Comboni missionaries have traveled to nearly every corner of the world. Founded by St. Daniel Comboni, we are an international Catholic organization dedicated to ministering the world's poorest and most abandoned people. Your donations make a huge impact, and 95% are used to fund our many projects. Find out more at ComboniMissionaries.org. That is ComboniMissionaries.org. You start your day a better way by listening to the Sunrise Morning Show. Soon, you'll be able to watch as well. That's right. Starting September 25th, you'll be able to watch the Sunrise video stream on social media and at sunrisemorningshow.com. You'll also be able to see the faces of the regular Sunrise Morning Show family. Plus, you'll get to see what my hair looks like first thing in the morning. And whether I ever crack a smile at Matt's terrible jokes. Spoiler alert, she does. Sunrise goes to video September 25th. Tune in at sunrisemorningshow.com. Teresa Tamio. Every time I go to Mass and see my husband serving on the altar as a deacon, it hits me how, with God, all things are possible. I mean, there is no way that we should be still married, number one, based on all the problems we had. But number two, the fact that I'm in Catholic media and my husband is a deacon is simply a testimony to the power of God and the teachings of the Church that saved our marriage and, more importantly, our souls. Catholic Connection with Teresa Tamio. Monday through Friday at 9 a.m. Eastern on EWTN Radio. 
It's 11 till. Happy to welcome back to the Sunrise Morning Show, Chris McGregor from DiscerningHearts.com. Good morning, Chris. Good morning, Nana. How are you today? I am so joyful because we get to talk about my girl, the Sorrowful Mother, who is my absolute favorite in terms of titles of the Blessed Mother. I cannot think of one that I love more than Our Lady of Sorrows. And that is what we are going to be talking about today. Our selection from the Office of Readings is for her September 15th feast day, the day after the exaltation of the Holy Cross. And this is a a sermon of St. Bernard of Clairvaux, a doctor of the church. And it is very clear that this man spent a lot of time contemplating our Blessed Mother. Oh, the man who gave us the memorare. Yeah. Uh, the, the great prayer, never was it known that anyone who fled to thy protection, implored thy help, or sought thy intercession was left unaided. Mm. This is the mother. And today to be able to speak to her on the feast of her name day, the holy name of Mary, the ones who cry out to her because she understands. She's a mother who understands and has been there and can compassionate with us when we sorrow that I think is uh, so beautiful. I'm so glad that you allowed us to do this today, Anna. Well, the very first couple of words of this sermon, I think are so striking. He just starts by talking about the martyrdom of the Virgin, the martyrdom. Mm, yes. The, the martyrdom of, of the Virgin is uh, so especially when we recall the prophecy of Simeon and and then connect that with the actual passion of our Lord. You know, I was trying to uh, put my brain around this. And then yesterday, I, I, I don't, I'm sure you did too, when the beatification took place of the Alma family. Yes. And when you heard the details of what happened to the family, who in love responded in action to shield the helpless, the ones who were being hunted, and they um, themselves, once it was discovered the Jews were on their farm, uh, the Nazi soldiers came in and not only killed the Jews, but killed the father, killed a mother who was in the process of birthing her child. Yeah. And then looked upon the children and saw them in pain and suffering from their uh, watching their parents die. And they turned the guns on them and shot them. And your heart, when you hear the story, your heart sorrows. It breaks, not only for the family, not only for the children, but then think about the Nazi soldiers. Those those boys, probably those men who had been born in a Christian nation, who had determined that they were going to take this action, cries out in pain, in sorrow, have mercy on them as well. Mm. And that's, you know, and you can't contemplate that. Now, that's just a sliver of what the Blessed Mother at the foot of the cross, the woman who would contain love within her own body, give it form, had never, no human has ever experienced what Mary felt, having God, who is love. That's what John tells us, that here she, and now at the foot of the cross is experience that not only real time with her, son, but as Simeon said, so the thoughts of many, so all of us, my thoughts yesterday when contemplating the, uh, the 
Alma family, my sorrow in that, that was almost too much to think about, that's what she can, that flows through her all the time with all of us, Anna. It's such an incredible thought to know that love itself was contained in her womb for mm-hmm. those nine months. He writes, oh, truly, truly, oh, blessed mother, a sword has pierced your heart for only by passing through your heart could the sword enter the flesh of your son. Indeed, after your Jesus, who belongs to everyone but is especially yours, gave up his life, the cruel spear which was not withheld from his lifeless body tore open his side. Clearly it did not touch his soul and could not harm him, but it did pierce your heart. You think about those moments of our blessed mother at the foot of the cross after her son had given up his spirit. And 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 you think of the pain of all mothers that have to watch a child suffer. Um, mm. You know, knowing that that your child is up there on that cross and you can't do anything to take them down from that cross. And that's all you want to do as a mother is to I, I honestly I mean, I know this is going to sound weird, but I almost feel like her suffering was greater mm. in many ways. I, I agree. I mean, and the excruciating pain of so many of us who are mothers who watch our ch- children suffer, those who may have been born with um, disabilities. I have two children out of my three that are, have autism. Mm-hmm. And I think about what will happen to them in the future, not only what they need to endure today, but how people will treat them, how they will be cared for. That's a that's a pain inside. That's a sorrow. It's a hope. I know where I know that God loves them and God's going to take them up in their glory in heaven. But living in the earth today, it's hard to know what will happen. And there are so many mothers um, who have children who have uh, those type of uh, challenges, but also send their kids off to war or they watch them suffer with addictions. Yeah. Yeah, I I remember embracing our our blessed mother, Our Lady of Sorrows, um, as I was waiting to find out a diagnosis for my own child, and and offering to her, asking, praying for the graces that if I was going to have to be like her in the sense of, am I going to have to watch my child suffer and die? Please mm. give me those graces to be like you, to be able to to give that love. She died in spirit through a love unlike any other since his, St. Bernard says. We've been talking to Chris McGregor. I can't believe we're out of time already, Chris. Thank you so much. God bless you, dear. You too. Thank you. All right, that'll do it for this national edition of the Sunrise Morning Show. May God bless you and keep you and grant you his peace. In this crazy-